Good morning. I, uh, I'm going to steal a stool. I'm steal this one. just got back from Uganda where I was at for two weeks, and so I've been staring at the ceiling every, uh, every night at like 2 in the morning, and so if I fall asleep during my message, maybe someone can wake me up. Um, I've got a couple things we need to talk about, so we're going to dive in. First thing was this. I came home, and I was going through all the mail, and I had this... Uh, newsletter from On Track Ministries that I got, and it has an article in there about how ransomware is now being sold at Summit High School um, because of the human rights series that we did. And I was super excited, and then I got even more excited when I got to the bottom and realized that it wasn't Christy Hayworth that was writing it. It was one of the one of our high school freshmen, um, Lindsey Brown, and and if she keeps going at the rate she's going now, she'll be a senator by she. Time she's 35. So, but that was just kind of encouraging to me to see that, and then also just like our Ian and Lynn, uh, Ian and Christy even in here. No, of all the weeks. Okay. Well, I was going to have them stand up just so you could see who they are. They work with uh, all the high schools in town and do an amazing job. And so maybe some other time I can point them out to you just so you can encourage them and and get on their newsletter and things like that. They do great stuff. Next thing is we've got big Antioch family news. It's good stuff, um, but it's big stuff. So here's, here's the whole deal, and um, Antioch is moving. So we're going to Idaho. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're actually going to be moving to Summit High. And before I left for Uganda, we were talking with Summit High about whether or not we could work out an agreement with them. And while I was gone... Um, the guys signed the contract and uh, are kind of going through with that. And so I'll just give you a little bit of the backstory because it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, about a month and a half ago, maybe two months now, we had a, a full staff meeting. And I'd been listening to the book Wickonomics on my CD player when I was driving around. And so I was super excited about feeling leaderly. And so I went into that staff meeting and used the words collaboration and creativity like 20 times, because that made me feel smart. Um, and so I basically said, hey, we're going to have a brainstorming, collaborative meeting, lots of creativity, and we're going to reach a collaborative result. Um, and here's the deal. We're out of seats at the theater, so we have to, we have to come up with an option, um, because people are coming, and if they have a family of three or four, they can't even get seats together, and they're turning around and leaving, and we've got to come up with an option. And so I said, so that's the task. And here's the only, only rule, the only thing is um, what is off the table, not up for discussion, is a wholesale move of Antioch. That's, that's off the table. But we're going to talk about everything else under the sun. And I was super excited, feeling leaderly, leaderishly, um, <laughs> that this amazing meeting was going to happen. And uh, the first time I knew something was going wrong was about 10, 15 minutes into the meeting and instead of doing the thing like you're supposed to do with brainstorming meetings where there's no bad idea, I was all of a sudden like defending and arguing and, and I could feel things were going bad and, and people started talking about, well, we just need to move. And so I was diving in even more and telling them how wrong they were and, and I'm thinking this isn't what the book said, you know, this isn't collaboration, but they, they didn't get the ground rules. They're not a smart staff team. They didn't listen. Um, and so anyways, uh, fast forward like an hour and a half into this meeting, I'm sitting here and I've got 10 people like circling me and they're all staring at me and they're all saying, Ken, we need to move to Summit High. And I'm just 
looking at him trying to find a way out, you know, and, but I was the idiot that used the whole collaboration thing. Um, so I was like, okay, 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 we'll look into it. And, and so one thing led to another. Um, we know some staff members there, some faculty members, uh, and the vice principal is Al Holbert's actually going to be speaking on the 30th of this month. And one thing just kind of fell into place after another. Um, and then the regal canceling our Christmas Eve service was kind of like, a, you know, well, now I feel really good about it. Um, uh, but it, it's here's the here's the kind of story with it. It's not. And the reason I was having a hard time with it is this was a baby of mine. And I don't know if you can identify with that. I love the theater. I love everything about it. And I have a lot of memories associated with it. And um, I used to grow up and people used to tell me old people don't like change. Well, it's wrong. People don't like change. Old people just have a lot longer to get used to some stuff. Um, but but nobody likes change, you know. And so I'm not wanting change. Nobody's wanting change. And 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 so it's hard to let go of it. And and so it's been a process for me. So identify with you if it's going to be a process for you as well. Here's the thing, though. It's not which is better, Summit higher or the Regal, because the Regal is no longer a viable option. I mean, it's we're not in a contract anymore. The Regal won't go back into a contract with us, so we're just week to week. Um, we have people getting up at 5.30 in the morning on Sundays to come do setup to do an 8 o'clock service. Uh, we're over our, our limit with our contract on the Children's Museum. We have too many kids in there. Um, we don't ever, I don't know who anyone is in this church anymore because we don't get to hang out afterwards. It's like you're running here, there, everywhere. And, and I'm crazy stoked about the idea of just hanging out. My wife grew up in a family where she was the last one to leave church like every Sunday. And like, I'm, that's my new like future for next year. Like I want to be that guy and talking to people, you know? Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So it's not that which one's better. It's, it's, this was an amazing thing God brought us. And as it's closing down, um, he's brought us something else amazing to move into for the next season of this church. And so it's kind of a neat story, just watching how God moves. And we've called it a tabernacle church a lot. And what we mean by that is just simply, we don't own our own building. We, we set up a tent, we pitch a tent and we're a tabernacle church. And I kind of like that because it's not about a building, it's about community and it's about different things. And the tabernacle, when they knew it was time to move it, was there would be a cloud or a pillar of fire that would kind of move on and they'd break camp and they'd go to the next place. And so we're a tabernacle church and it's just kind of an interesting thing and it's very clear to the people that are involved in, as this has been unfolding that God's just moving us to the next thing uh, where we can all be together again in one service um, and feel that energy. And, and there's house lights on dimmer. So I don't have to keep buying book lights um, for those of you that use those. So we're not going to buy any more book lights. For the next couple of weeks, you're not going to have book lights, just so you know. Um, so anyways, it's the theater. It's not like the cafeteria or gymnasium or anything crazy like that. I mean, it's the theater. It's got the plush seats, all that. Uh, a couple of last things about that before we move on. Um, here's something huge. It's cheaper than uh, what we've got now. So... We're actually going to be saving a little bit of money every single week, um, but be able to kind of get situated for a good long period of time with a lot of space like that. It's pretty neat. And just um, on that note, uh, if you've ever had kids or if you've ever like water skied, you know those things that you just get thrown into and it's like crazy intense for like a little bit of time? Um, kids, is, you, you 
never have enough money or enough energy to have kids. It just happens to you one day and, and you just survive. But like this move kind of feels like that for me. Like, like we have a month of a lot of work um, to pull this off. We want to build sets for children's ministries. We're not going to, nothing's going to go backwards. You know, we just want to put a lot of energy, a lot of creativity, collaboration um, into this and, and get it so that when we go in kind of uh, January 20th is our target date. When we go in on January 20th, it's just uh, an amazing thing for everybody all around. So if you would love to help us with that move in any way, shape, or form, uh, I'd sure love it if you'd come talk to us and we'll just get you in. Because we're going to be doing a lot of stuff over the next month just to get ready. So um, let me know. And let's go ahead and pray and dive in if we could. So, Father, uh, we do just thank you that church is about relationship. It's about what really matters to us, uh, people and friendships and family, and that we are able to move and um, just experience change and that it's okay. And so I pray that you'd give us joy in this season, that there'd be anticipation, that there'd be little hidden blessings that you've planted into this thing that that we can't even see right now, but that they're, they're going to be there and just reassure us that, that you're going ahead of us. And Father, we just thank you for everything that you have done up until this point at this church. Um, beyond anybody's expectations. And we give you the glory, we give you the credit, and we just want to do nothing but follow you and to walk in faith. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're in a series right now called Elements. Like they, they said in the announcements, next Sunday is kind of um, your nostalgic down-home, by-the-fire Christmas service. Uh, and we're closing up the Element series today. And we're talking about water. And basically the whole idea of this series, Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water, is that everything is spiritual. That we look at stuff and we just see stuff and it stops there. But when God wants to talk to people, he, it's amazing. He grabs just elementary things. He grabs stuff and he builds analogies and illustrations and infuses them with symbolism. And he says, you want to know about this? Well, it's like, you know the wind, or it's like earth, or soil, um, or the different kinds of things that fire, that, that communicates to us about the spiritual life. And Brandon talked about last week, r- refining fire. And so the whole idea of this is everything is spiritual, that uh, like C.S. Lewis said, we live in a God-haunted universe, that nothing is just ordinary, it's all spiritual one way, shape, or form. So that's what's driving this whole series with water, it comes in, and the dominant, the dominant metaphor is just simply this, and that's life. Where you have water, you have life. If you bring in water, then you can sustain life. It's, uh, when I was up at Big Bear, it was amazing. I went, um, Big Bear is the mountains above California, and you go over this little hill, and you're way up top in this valley area, but it's like a valley, like in the mountains, you know, way up high. And during the gold rush, all this crazy, gnarly stuff was going on up there, and we went on this Jeep tour, and we saw the hangman's tree where they would hang people. And we went to the mines and all that. But there's not a single thing there at all anymore. I mean, there's nothing. And it's because there was no water there. And so, you know, things kind of ran its course, but nobody could stay there. No one could remain there, and they move. And so where water is, life is. And so if you drive down to California and you see, like, the six hours of straight road with orchards on both sides, um, you'll see what can happen when you bring water in and you irrigate. So water and this idea of life, the, the water of life, are huge. And so 
the psalmist in Psalm 1 begins by saying, this righteous man is, is like a tree planted by the river, you know, right, right by the water. Because its roots are always going to be able to draw water from the river and it's going to grow and it's going to thrive. And so the idea with water here is just life. And, and I'd say a couple different things. It sustains life, it cleanses, and it purifies. Um, those are kind of the driving metaphors. And what I wanted to do is just open up to John chapter 4. And we're looking at a story that's one of those familiar ones. And I remember a guy at a uh, church I used to work at taught a Sunday school class. And he called it uh, a fresh look at the invisible scriptures. And he was just going to like all those goody, like scripture, good old scripture passages, um, your grandma's favorites or your favorites or the ones you memorize. And his whole point for the class was that sometimes these things become invisible because we've seen them so much. And so he was wanting to take a fresh look at these. And I think this is one of those passages. And in John chapter 4, what it is, is it's the story of the, the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well and her conversation with Jesus. And I think it's one of those things that we kind of, we may have, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you may have heard it, and now you think you know what the story's about, and so you kind of don't listen anymore to some of the things going on. But that's what we're going to dive into. So let me read. It's a long chunk. So if you have a, I'm in NIV. If you have a different translation, you may want to just listen. Um, but we're starting in chapter 4. And uh, Jesus is taken off, and in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says this. Now, you had to go through Samaria, and that's not typical. Usually, you'd skirt around. It's kind of a hot spot like that, a hot zone. Um, and he goes through Samaria, though, and he gets to a town near the plot of the ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now Jesus answered her. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And then verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I'll stop there for a second. There's a lot of things in here that I was missing until just this, this Uganda trip. And it's kind of funny how it all kind of coincided. But a lot of things like, um, give me a cup of water to drink. I, I assume Jesus wants a, a drink of water, a little cup of water. That's probably what the woman's there for too, right? She's just getting a drink of water. Um, at the end, she says, you know, I don't want to have to keep coming here to draw water. Oh, I, I guess she doesn't want to keep coming. It didn't mean anything to me. It was kind of an empty statement. I would just read right on by. When I was in Uganda, one of the days we hopped in a Land Rover, went up above the town of Kapchora, 
And one of the things we were doing was photographing and looking at water issues um, so that we could put those into a video documentary and, and some things like that. And I took this picture of, of uh, what it means to get water. Now, this is basically your typical deal in Uganda. These women are getting water from an unclean water source. It's just a little mud hole right behind the yellow bins. And it's the kind of water that you're going to get typhoid from or that you can get um, parasites or probably will get parasites if you drink it. And what these women have done is they've carried all their buckets now all throughout Uganda. And I think it's this way all throughout Africa. But these are oil, vegetable oil bins, like 20-liter vegetable oil bins. And when they've used them, they, they then keep them for years and years to, to lug water around. And so they will go sometimes a couple kilometers with these jugs, fill them, and that takes a long time depending on where they're at. They fill these jugs, lots of them, and then they and their children will lug these back to their house, carry them on their heads sometimes. Um, you'll see bikes being pushed with one on each side, bikes being pushed up the hill. And this is what it means to get water, okay? It's a daily thing. You need it for cooking. You need it for cleaning. You need it for drinking. You need it for um, animals if you don't have any water near where your animals are. And you need high volumes. You need it for bathing. Um, so they do this, and it's hard work. And I took it for granted, you know. I mean, water's something you do when you're lazy. It's like, wow, you don't have any soda. You don't have anything better to drink. Okay, I guess I'll have water. Um, or like, you know, you're watching the football game. Eh, I'm a little thirsty. Maybe I'll go to the sink, get, get a glass of water, you know. But, I mean, water's kind of a lazy man's thing. No one ever, like, gets super excited about water, you know. I mean, we think about other things. So I think when we read this this whole deal here, we don't realize what's really going on. This woman is working really hard. She's traveled to get water, and then she's sitting there, and here's somebody talking to her, and it's like, what are you doing talking to me? It's like a Jew and a Palestinian right now. Um, we don't talk. Why are you talking to me? And so I'm working. I'm busy. I got a lot to do. You're talking to me. I'm confused. What, what's going on? And you want a drink? Okay, I'll give you a drink of water. And now you're talking about, um, giving me water, and it's like, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a, a little thing, a cup or a funnel. What are you going to give me water with? And then he starts talking about this, how great this water is. It's like, you know, in case you didn't look around, this is the only well, you know. I, and I came maybe a couple kilometers to get here. You know, what, what's your source that's better than this well that Jacob gave us? You know, and so she's... She's wrestling with it, and she's confused with it, and it's it's not just a, oh, give me a, um, she's not down there just killing time because she's bored and she's lazy and getting a, a glass of water, okay? She's in the middle of this work thing, and so Jesus finally keeps pressing her, and she says, okay, give me give me some of this water, okay? And, and Jesus doesn't then turn around and um, go there with her. He changes the subject because he's now going to take her deeper. I, as you get into this passage, you begin to realize this woman has got a lot of needs and she's got a lot of deep wounds. And my guess is Jesus' whole motivation, the guy was tired, okay? The whole reason he picked up this conversation with this woman is because he cares. And I think his tone with her was probably amazing. And he changes the subject now, not because he wants to be coy with her, but... Um, 
a little sip of water is what she's still thinking about. And it's not where Jesus is driving, and he needs to get her really opening up down here because Jesus wants to get on the inside. So he changes the, the direction a bit, and listen, listen to what Jesus says. You want me to give you some of my water? Great. Go and call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So Jesus just said, okay, um, now we're getting into your, your mess. Life isn't easy. It's messy. Broken relationships, the fallout from broken relationships, difficult, sore, hard, real pains. And just in like one question and one answer, Jesus just cuts right to it. This lady's like caught completely off guard and and she kind of gives these half answers and she comes back and says, oh, you must be a prophet. Um, Good guess, you know. Um, You must be a prophet. Okay, so you're a prophet. And she now now throws towards Jesus exactly what goes on inside of her. And what goes on inside of her is this, and it's the same thing that goes on inside of all of us too. Um, We're always for and against because we have broken relationships. We have damage and wounds and hurts and we know people are talking about us and so we have to talk about them first and we have to go around this way and around this way and guard and defend and hedge our bets and protect and win and compete and everything becomes black and white that way and so the minute she realizes he's a prophet what does she ask him who's right let's jump right into politics jesus our fathers worshiped on this mountain But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, I don't think she forgot his question. Um, This guy just told her, like, all the facts about her life. She didn't just immediately go, oh, you know, I mean, um, Oprah's touring with Obama now. It's really fascinating. And now that you're a prophet, who's going to win? Let's just jump into politics. And she forgets that he's been talking about her personal life. She's throwing this up um, as a... Because it's just reactionary. You know, I mean, has, has anyone ever nailed you dead to rights and you come back with something completely off topic and you're just like, you're reeling, you're backing up and you're just, you're just throwing something out. You don't know what it is. And you just throw it out there. And so she throws out the conflict. Who's right? The Jews or the Samaritans? Where are we supposed to worship? Jesus just goes right with it and he says this. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Bottom line, just frame all that. Jesus says, you know what? Um, Water cleanses and it satisfies. Okay? Uh, I'm going to give you living water. And it's going to cleanse you out and renew you from the inside. And it's going to be lasting. It's not going to just satisfy you for a moment. It's going to be lasting. It's, It's got longevity and sufficiency to it. 
And then the, the subject gets changed and he comes right back at it again with the new topic and says, you know, it's not about where you go to church. It's not whether you go to a building or a high school or wherever, you know, or a, a Christmas Eve service on some mountain or Easter. That's Easter, right? You know, some sunrise service. on It doesn't matter where you go. What matters is what's on the inside because God's not six foot two. He's not five foot one. He's not blonde hair. He's not a brunette. He doesn't have blue eyes. God is spirit. And when God closes his eyes and squints, he doesn't see our bodies. He doesn't see what you see in the mirror. He doesn't give a rip uh, if your nose is a little centimeter to the left or to the right or your eyes are a little. Uh, he doesn't see those things or the clothes you wear. God sees your heart. He sees what is really essentially true and at the heart of who you are, the core of who you are, your spirit. And God is spirit and, he, and Jesus is saying what God wants is people that are going to worship him that with the inside stuff and in truth. That, that spirit is right with God. It's true. It's, it's pointed in the right direction. It's not broke. It's not bent. It's, it's true in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is saying inside, 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 inside. Um, what do we do? We, we do outside, 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 outside. Um, and Jesus got after the Pharisees for that same thing. He said, you know, you guys are like cups. And you wash the outside and you polish it real nice and pretty. But on the inside, it's dirty. Or you're, you're like a, a tomb, you know, that looks really good on the outside, but it's got dead bones on the inside. And he's saying, what gives? And so Jesus wants to get right to the inside and say, I have no interest in the externals. You have needs on the inside, and what's on the inside is the thing that I love. And I want to get right there, and I want to fix it, and I want to work with it, and I want to heal it, and I want to give you life. Water is life. Um, and we need to hear this. And so I'm in Uganda, and I'm thinking about water. Water's great, and water this. And, and what really... Um, changed me though was this uh, story of a woman there by the name of Sylvia and so this is um, a sermon to be honest with you that's more about forgiveness than it is about water Um, because I heard this story and it took me down this direction and I realized if we want the inside to be right and we want the inside to be clean we have to be willing to let it be cleansed or healed or the knots to be untangled and we hold on to those knots and we hold on to those wounds um, and we retain the bitterness and the desire for revenge because we will not obey Christ and forgive one another. We, we, do, we just don't. We don't talk about it often except with our kids, you know. We don't practice it too much. I don't remember the last time I heard about it in church because um, it's just a mundane topic maybe. I don't know. But here's the thing that I realized. I realize that when things get bad enough, I think we hear Christ better. And so did it strike anyone else as interesting when Jesus said she'd had five husbands? She's so fed up with the whole deal um, that the the guy she's got now isn't even her husband, you know. And um, that's a lot of um, stress. I can imagine having had two husbands would be a lot of stress. Um, Guys are, yeah. Uh, so here's, here's the question I started asking myself. I was like, you know what? Um, if she, if Jesus, if she had only had two husbands, I wonder if she would have had the ears to hear. 
Like, if, if things were not so bad, would she have been ready to take what Jesus had to say? And she obviously was, because she runs back into town, gets all her friends, comes back out. And see, the truth is, life is like we're walking forward, and we got a, a big stick, and we got a bucket on each side, and life dumps rocks in those buckets, and we begin to get loaded up and weighed down. And I think this woman um, was weighed all the way down. She was on her knees and she was glad for Jesus to take that burden off of her. Okay. Um, In America, I think our rocks maybe never get so high that we just keep going, oh, I've got it. (laughs) Nope, I'm I'm fine. Um, And what made me think about it was the story from Uganda and that's what changed us to forgiveness. And the story about Sylvia is this. Sylvia is a woman who uh, lives in that area of Capchora and a number of years ago, her dad, when she was in her teen years, sold her to be the second wife of a man. Uh, The man beat her. The man's first wife beat her and she ended up having several children and by the time she's in her 20s and was... (sighs) Smart enough, uh, able enough, confident enough, she was able to get out of the situation and leave. So she took the children, got out of the situation, she left, she set up a home, she had the children, started working 12 hours a day. It's subsistence living over there. I mean, um, you only eat what you kind of put into the ground and work or go collect and gather. I mean, and so she worked 12 hours a day to try and take care of these kids. And if things weren't bad enough, one of the days when she was gone, a man from the village who was in the last stages of AIDS and was dying of AIDS came through the window and raped her three-year-old daughter. Um, and the reasoning behind that is in many parts of Africa, uh, it's believed that if, if you have sex with a virgin, it will cure AIDS. Now, even if someone's like, I don't know if that's true or not, in the last stages of AIDS... Uh, a lot of these men get desperate and they don't care to, to force it. You know, I mean, it's what happened. So the, the neighbor came through. This is what happened to a three-year-old. Um, three-year-old contracted AIDS and died two years ago. Um, and this woman became so incapacitated by her grief and her depression, her bitterness, um, that she basically, it was over. And so she would work 12 hours, come home, and the story was she would just lay on bed. She'd come home and lay on bed, and she stopped parenting her other kids. She just didn't have anything left. And so last year, sisters went over, and there's a, a gal that I just got to meet on this trip by the name of Brenda, um, wise, compassionate woman. And she made great friends with Sylvia last year, and towards the end of the week, uh, they talked, and Brenda um, said to her, Hey, Sylvia, can you forgive your dad? can you forgive your dad for selling you to that man and getting this whole thing going? And she said, yes. And then Brenda said, can you forgive your husband? And Sylvia started crying. And Sylvia said, yes. And then Brenda started crying with her and said, Sylvia, can you forgive the man who did that to your daughter? And they cried together. They prayed together. um, They wept together. And Sylvia said, I forgive the man who did that to my daughter. Um, And then that was a year ago. So we went and uh, the evening of the first day, Brenda came running in and she had reconnected with Sylvia. And Sylvia was a different person. 
Um, she shone. She looked 10 years younger. Uh, her relationships were different. Her whole life had changed. And I, I just kind of taking the story in over the next several days was just kind of like, you know, um, Sylvia either gave it to God or it was going to kill her. I mean, she had to give that to God because it was so gnarly that it was just going to kill her. And I realized, you know what? Um, The stuff I worry about in the States just isn't that gnarly. And so it's easy for me to smile at church. It's easy for me to be the Christian. It's easy for my whole circle of friends to just smile and be the Christians. And, And there's nothing really forcing us to maybe do some deep soul work sometimes. And to take some huge things and some big wounds and and forgive some people and turn it over to God and let go, um, sit down and cry about it, you know, that kind of thing. And so we we think we've got it. Um, I've got these rocks. I can take care of it. It's like going to the gym. You know, you go to the gym, you're on the treadmill, you're running, you're dying because you drink too much coffee and all that, you know, and... And then in, in walks someone you know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, and um, man, I could go for another hour or two, and you're just running, and the person's there, and they start to walk away, and you're watching them out of the corner of your eye, and the minute they turn the corner, like, you collapse, and, the, and it spits you off the back end of the treadmill, and, you know, and, I mean, <laughs> at least that's what I do. Um, and I think that's the way we are with the inside stuff. That's the way we are with the inside stuff. Um, I got it. I can do it. Uh, I'm not going to show it to you. I've got it under control. I'll handle it. It's, it's going to be taken care of. I don't actually need to do the radical thing of forgiving that person and letting go of it completely. No ability to take it back and be bitter again because I kind of like that bitterness. It keeps me going. It keeps the competitive edge. What would I talk about with my friends if I couldn't analyze people that we know and have opinions on? You know, it's okay. I can manage all this junk that I'm holding to myself. And Jesus wanted to give, I think, a big bear hug to this woman at the well. She took a look at her junk, and I think she was saying, you know what, I'm ready to be done with this. I'm ready to get rid of it. I don't want it. It hurts. And she's willing to let go. We maybe aren't so willing to let go. And so um, if you turn over just a bit in John, this is kind of another passage that I started looking at in a new light in John chapter 13. And it's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it's this is where we're headed because Jesus takes on the role of a servant and he gets down and he's washing people's feet And he came to Simon Peter, verse 6, chapter 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, because you just washed Thomas' feet and he's got a foot fungus. And and Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. What did Peter understand later? Interesting question. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, that's it right there. Okay, that's what I'm talking. That's that American, um, hey, Jesus, go wash those Ugandans' feet. 
they really need it. They're really dirty. Um, and they're maybe even uh, a little less competent or capable. And so they need you to take the initiative. Me? No. You don't need to wash my feet. I'm too good for that. Uh, it's too easy for me to tell you, no, I'm on your side, Jesus. Like, we're a team, and they're a team, but I'm on your team, Jesus. You don't need to wash my feet. Wash their feet. Um, you see what's going on? I mean, Peter, is just it's too easy for him to look at the outside and say, I'm, look at me, I've got it together. I don't need my feet washed. He's not looking at the inside and realizing, man, that... Jesus has got to do a work in all of us. And so listen to how Jesus just responds. Jesus answers and says, Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Peter, you're not on the home team over here with me, buddy, buddy. I'm Jesus, and I came to save the world. You're part of the world, and you need to be washed. I need to wash you, or you have no part in me. Peter gets it because Peter's the quickest recovery guy I've ever met. Um, and Peter replies, not, my, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So now we've got these dirt-covered, stinky feet that Jesus is washing. Peter goes from, nah, you don't need to wash my feet, to all of a sudden, take that dirty water and pour it on my hands that I eat with and my head that is symbolic of everything I am. Wash all of me. I don't care. I want to be with you, spirit and truth, whole thing. And Peter recovers. Um, Jesus came and he conquered the whole world. And he did it by sacrificing everything to be able to forgive us, to cleanse and so, I mean, the imagery, even the last night, this is my blood poured out for, for the forgiveness of sins. The only time I ever talked on forgiveness, I was talking about us asking God for forgiveness. And I remember like talking like, okay, it's like a water coming down and it washes us. And if you don't ask for forgiveness, sin dams that up. And we, I used to have a whiteboard and I was like, I used the word damn with a bunch of college students. So I was like, oh, so I wrote D-A-M-N on the board. I'm like, just so you don't know that I'm saying the wrong word, damn. And then I started teaching again, and everyone's faces were off. And I was like, is that the wrong? You know, so I wrote the wrong. It's counter to what I meant to do. But um, but so it, it is that way, though. It, like God is wanting to pour out forgiveness and to wash, and it dams it up when we say, I've got too much pride. I don't need you. I don't need it. I'm, I'm on the home team. And we've got to say, no, we're needy. doesn't matter if we're on the fifth husband or the guy after the fifth husband. If you've got the wounds, you've got the need. If you have people that you talk bad about once in a month, you've got someone that you need to forgive. It's not in the Bible just because God was bored. It's in the Bible to forgive people because we're not going to normally do it. I mean, have you ever noticed that? The things that show up in the Bible are the things that are hard. They're hard, they're hard and therefore they're in the Bible. And so we need to forgive people. We need to realize that there's patterns of us versus them, either or thinking that we got to stop doing because it's our way of salvaging meaning. 
I'm competing with everyone and with cliques and with groups and with people and with couples and with people that hurt me or out to get me and everything becomes competition and, and I've got to compete well and if I just, it's like the first Star Wars, you remember the first Star Wars and Han and Leia and Luke and they're in the trash compactor and R2-D2 can't get to it fast enough and it's C-3PO's fault, you know. Um, guy had a victim complex, right? So R2-D2 is like spinning a little thing and, and they're in the trash compactor and it's coming in and all the trash is going like this and they're fighting like mad to stay on top of it. Remember that whole thing? Um, that's what we do. We try to stay on top. And Jesus is saying, um, I've got water. I've got water for you. I've got a big bear hug for you. I've got a desire to heal that wound, to help you let go of your past, to renew a right spirit in you, to, to give you sufficient, sustained power for you to have the peace and the joy that God wants for his children. And God is saying, let go. Forgive. You know, I, I tried to get a picture of Sylvia's eyes and I didn't get it. And I was going to put it on the screen and I was going to have her eyes look at us so that we could stare at them and realize if this woman can forgive, then we can forgive. Um, the last thing in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, and, and after it says this verse, it kind of closes the book like um, nobody gets to add any words to this book. You know, it's done. You know, it's, it ends a little postscript there. But this is the last thought in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, and it says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The water of life. That is my daughter. I just heard my baba. That's my daughter. Um there's a free gift of the water of life. And if we could barrel it all down to this, it is that simple that we're going to get caught up in the traditions, the religiosity, the external actions, the up, down, left, and right. And Jesus is saying, no, I got to get to the inside. I don't want the outside plastic stuff that's polished. And I want the inside and I want to get in there and I want there to be life. And I'm going to give you that water and you just need to invite this in. And it's through obedience, it's through little decisions of of letting go and giving it over. It's carrying that burden and saying, I don't need to prove anything to anyone. And just taking a couple knees and bowing down and saying, I give this to you, Jesus. I don't want to carry it anymore. Going to that person that you battle with and saying, you know what, I don't want to fight anymore. You can hate me, fine. It'll just be a lot easier if I don't have to figure out creative ways to hate you back, you know. I lose sleep doing that, you know. Um, it's fine. But so it it's the inside. And if your prayer life is is always about, God, I need help with this, this, that, and this, and the stock market, and the real estate, and the this. And if everything is always externals in your prayer life, then the external stuff is too important. 
You're, I, I mean, this, I'm talking to me. To be, on this trip I was on, man, I started praying the fruit of the Spirit. Because I kind of just like, you know what? It's too easy because I pray my eyes. I, I pray what I see. And it's not maybe the, the wisest or most mature way to pray. And so I close my eyes and I start saying, what's in my heart? What needs to be in my heart? Let me pray that stuff. And so love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, mercy, self those things, they're, they're, they're great material for prayer. Great material for prayer because life is messy and life is difficult and life is hard. And it's not easy to always manifest those things. Those are all relational qualities. Love and joy and peace and patience. Those are all relational things. And we can pray those. Now, I just want to do this. Is um, Martin Luther back in the 1500s said, when Jesus saves a person, um, God takes all that person's sins and bundles them up and he goes to the deepest part of the ocean and he throws it in and then he puts a no fishing sign right above it. Okay? Um, and I'm, I'm just asking you this morning to let go of something. I think everyone, I, maybe I'm only talking to two people in here, you know, and maybe you're that person. I don't know. Um, but you know when you're holding on to something or someone or a bitterness or a, a knot that you like keeping tied tight because it's too much faith to let go and give it over to God. Or that person hurts you so bad and the consequences are so lasting. You just can't get your mind around it. It's just wrong. It's it's unjust. So you can't let it go. It's it's just nags, you know. Yet you know what that is. Um, and so what I want you to do is just to take a pen you should have gotten on the way in and rip off a little piece of paper from your bulletin or a connecting card or something like that. And I just want you to write that person's name, that season in your life, that event, that one word that describes it, whatever, uh, that wound that has a name. Um, and I want you to write it down and then just put right above it, no fishing. Um, and the guys are going to come up and we're going to take the offering in just a second. And so you know, you've got your connecting cards or your ties or whatever. But in addition to that, what I want you to do is I want you to put that little slip of paper in the offering bucket. That's your spiritual act of worship. God, I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And here it goes. I'm offering this to you. I'm submitting myself to you. I'm throwing myself on you. I don't want to do it on my own. You've got to do it for me. And so here it is. I'm giving it to you. I'm letting go. And God can do his business with you if you need to take it further or expand it to other things. But... But let's just start here and just give some stuff over to God. Even though we might be at one husband or two husbands, it's not worth trying to prove anything. And God is sufficient. And God is able. Let's pray. Father, just take what we offer and just grow our faith. And I just pray that the fruit of your Holy Spirit working in us would become more and more manifest. That we would get out of the way like Peter eventually got out of the way and we would just throw away everything that's the me stuff and just let you work on the insides. Uh, Let us be a church 
that is known for the quality of our humility and our submission and our desire to let you be Lord over our life and none of the other stuff about this church would matter. I pray that in Christ's name.